Let's turn together to John chapter 16. That's going to be one of our anchoring points. We're actually beginning a series. Typically, we, uh, we, we either go through a book, we'll take a scripture, and we'll unpack that scripture expositionally. That is uh, our desire to do. That's how we want to do things. <clears throat> we are starting a series this morning um, that's going to be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit who he is and what he does. And um, so this morning we're going to be a little less, we're going to be going to a couple of different passages through our morning. But um, it is so vitally important that we, throughout this series, tether our understanding and our experience with the Holy Spirit to the Word of God. I realize that in this room and in, in this room and in, in watching online, people are probably coming from different places of what they've been taught, what they've heard, what they've experienced, what they believe about the Holy Spirit. Um, how much you know, how much you've heard about the Holy Spirit probably depends to some degree on the religious background that you come from. There are obviously extremes of backgrounds um, uh, from those who are in a cessationist viewpoint, churches that are cessationist, which simply means they believe that when the Bible was completed, the supernatural works, the gifts, the miracles, and such of the Holy Spirit stopped when the canon was completed. That's one direction of belief that some churches hold to. And maybe some of you come from, from that viewpoint. And I, I think this is going to be an interesting series for you. Uh, then others, there's a charismatic uh, viewpoint, and maybe some of you come from a very charismatic or maybe a mildly charismatic church, and um, they very much believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is ongoing, is they believe in everything in there, the miracles, the, the, the signs, the, the gifts, tongues, prophecy, all of that they believe are still active and working today. I think a lot, as I've interacted with Christians and churches, I think a lot of churches are somewhere in the middle. Um, because while you have some who believe it's all stopped, there are churches that do go into excess. And maybe some of you have experienced that. Excessive things that are weird, scary, strange, unhelpful, maybe even hurtful in the name of the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> if you come from a, uh, a background of cessationist or, or less uh, non or, or non charismatic, it's possible you've heard very little about the Holy Spirit. 
that you really don't know because actually the church is uncomfortable about talking about them. Chuck Swindoll said, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is the weird uncle of the Trinity. You know, he's the one that you just kind of hope doesn't come to the family dinner because weird things happen. And so you don't talk about the Holy Spirit. You believe in him, but you don't talk about him. You don't focus on him. You don't, you don't really, uh, you know, you just believe he's working, but you don't really talk about it. Um, so that's, that may be your experience from that direction. And others, maybe you have experienced powerful works and moves of the Holy Spirit, and your heart longs for more of those powerful works. But you may have also experienced things that were really unusual and really not healthy and really not fruitful. Here's the deal. We, whatever direction you come from, and, and there's so many that are right in the middle, here's what we want to do. We want to tether our understanding of the Holy Spirit and His ministry to the Scriptures, not to our experience. You see, when charismatic churches go into the extreme, very often things that happen, they will uh, elevate their experience over the Word of God. So you look at things like, and I've been in services where people have barked like dogs or roared like lions, or shaken uncontrollably, or, 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 you know, just done some unusual things, uh, acting drunk. I watched a group of men, one of them was an attorney I knew, staggering around based on Ephesians 5, acting like they were drunk on the Spirit. Very poor biblical exposition there, by the way. Very poor biblical exposition of Ephesians 5.18. But if you ask them or, or press on that, some of them will say, listen, we may not see that in the Bible, but I have experienced it. I have seen it. So I know it's real. I know it's the Holy Spirit because I've experienced it. For them, experience trumps Scripture. But those churches that say little about the Spirit and expect little from the Spirit, I think are also guilty of emphasizing their experience over Scripture. Because there's no getting around the fact that the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. The New Testament in particular emphasizes his power as active and essential in the church. And so if somebody says we, have, we don't expect anything, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit, they may not put it this bluntly, but in essence, I think you boil it down, they're saying, we haven't seen any miracles, we haven't seen any unusual activity, any powerful workings of the Holy Spirit, not only in my life, but our church has a generation. We've been around for generations, and we've never seen any of those things. So that proves that God's not doing them anymore. And their experience trumps the Scripture. So 
with a series like this, I'm always aware that people come from different directions. And I want to just express appreciation for both directions and for the concerns on both directions. Um, and I think we're going to try to find some middle ground here, which really means it's very possible that nobody's happy by what I teach over the next several weeks. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to look at some of these things, some of the questions. We're going to do our best to, to look at these things biblically. If you have a specific question or specific teaching you would like us to address, please let me know. And, and if possible, we'll try to add that in and address it. But let's begin with two scriptures, both spoken by Jesus Christ about the Holy Spirit. The first one we've had you turn to, we'll also have it up on the screen. <clears throat> John 16, verse 7. Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And Lord, we pause here to ask your blessing upon your word. And we do ask your Holy Spirit to work graciously, freely in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says here, it is to our advantage. It is better for us that he leave physically and that the Holy Spirit come. Now, if I'm honest, I feel like it feels like it'd be better to have Jesus right in this room with us, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine if Jesus were right here, if Jesus was speaking instead of me, if he was teaching, if then he was doing the miracles that he did, if he was illuminating the heart of God the way that he did, if he was drawing our hearts together to follow him together the way that he did, if we heard him laugh, if we heard him speak a word of love to you individually, to me. That just seems mind-blowingly awesome. That's exactly what these disciples had experienced for three years. Not only experiencing his following him personally, but they also experienced all that he had done the ministry that he had done, and then he sent them out to do the same, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. And they came back rejoicing. They had seen all of this, and yet these are the very ones that Jesus said, guys, it is better that I leave. It is to your advantage, because then I will send the Holy Spirit, the helper, to you. The second passage I want us to look at is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After Jesus rose from the dead... He said to these very same disciples, he told them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Verse, verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, think about it. These, if all these disciples needed was to be well taught, they were well taught. They were as better taught than anybody ever could be. If all they needed to advance the gospel, 
was to know Jesus and proclaim Jesus, they were ready right then and there. They'd been taught by Jesus. They had seen him die on the cross. They now began to put the pieces together. They saw the resurrected Jesus. So these guys are excited. They are motivated. What more could they possibly need to go out and spread the gospel? Well, according to Jesus, they needed the Holy Spirit. They were not ready. He said, don't go anywhere. Cubby hole up until you receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then you will receive power. So who is the Holy Spirit? And what does he do? I want us to begin with some theological, biblical teaching about who the Holy Spirit is. So we have a good foundation and no misunderstanding about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We'll unpack that a little bit. But the Holy Spirit is first introduced to us in the second verse of the first book of the Bible. Genesis 1 opens up with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Interesting that the Spirit of God is introduced to us two verses into the first book. The word Trinity never occurs in the Bible, but the truth of the revelation of the Trinity is constant throughout Scripture and is one of these revelations that unfolds and blossoms as you go in further in. So that in the Old Testament, we have beautiful glimpses of the Trinity. But when we come into the New Testament, it, that truth explodes before us in grandeur. And so in Genesis 1, just think about this. It's very interesting. As God begins to create, he creates by saying, let there be light. Bang, there was light. And then he gets, says all these, let there be, let there be vegetation, let there be waters, let there be uh, stars, let there be expanse, let there be animals, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then he comes to the crown jewel of creation. He's going to create man and he stops saying, let there be. And he says, let us make man in our image, plural. God's speaking to himself. He didn't say, let there be man. He didn't say, I'm going to make man in my image. He said, let us create man in our image. From the very first verses of the Old Testament, we see a revelation of the Trinity. And by the way, the scriptures never contradict that. You say, what about the Bible? What about the verse says he is one God? He says it in a plural form. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord. Three, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. It's a plural one. It's not a singular one. The Hebrews had a singular word, one word. It's a plural word. God always refers to himself in the plural. 
And it's not a majesty plural that sometimes kings will do because kings in the Bible never spoke of themselves in a, in a plural. It just isn't a biblical thing. So there are many examples of the Trinity throughout Scripture, but I think one of the clearest examples, one of the coolest examples is found at the baptism of Jesus Christ by John. We know John, Jesus entered the waters to be baptized by John. So what we have is the Son is baptized, the Spirit descends as a dove, and the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What a beautiful picture of the Trinity and that all the persons of the Trinity are active in the, the redemption story of man. Theologian Wayne Grudem states the Trinity in three simple statements. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. God is one. Now we can't wrap our heads around that and no illustration does justice to it. But that's the truth we affirm. There aren't three gods. There aren't uh, three thirds of a god. Three persons, each one fully God. And God is one. There's not three gods. Which means we should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Okay? If you have that habit, please stop that. Because just as you would never refer to Jesus or the Father as it, uh, refer to the Holy Spirit always as Him, because He is the third person of the Trinity. Okay, that's a very brief foundation of the Trinity, but I want to talk a little bit now about what, what does the Holy Spirit do? What is His purpose? What is His role? What is His work? And very simply this, the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus on the earth today. So in a sense, you could say, what does the Holy Spirit do? In a word, he does everything. Everything that God is doing in the earth today, he is doing by his spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit is the active presence of God in the earth today. When God works a miracle, he's doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. When someone gets saved and their eyes open up, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that regenerates them through the gospel. Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Romans 8 verse 9, a church without the Holy Spirit is a church without God. Now that I do not mean, I want to be careful. I don't mean that a church that doesn't believe the Holy Spirit is doing certain things today is a church without God. I do not mean that at all. But if a church says, we don't have the Holy Spirit here, then, well, you, then you don't have God. Because Jesus says, you don't belong to Christ if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The same is true. Apart from the Holy Spirit, believers, we can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. The great 19th century Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon titled, The Unknown God, said this, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. We need, we need the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word, another helper, another paraclete, one who comes alongside, one who advocates, that word for another in the Greek indicates another of the same type as. Another helper who is the same, Jesus is saying, as me. The Holy Spirit will be the same as me. What he does will be the same as me. Not a different kind of helper, the same kind of helper that I have been to you for these years. He will be to you. So the Holy Spirit carries on the active ministry of Jesus Christ in the earth today. And I believe that gives us a very important guide in discerning what is of the Holy Spirit and what is not of the Holy Spirit. Is it something that Jesus would do or did do? Or is it something that we cannot see or anchor scripturally to the ministry of Jesus Christ. So there's so much we could say, but I think I want to just, I want to rein in two or identify two potential dangers for the church. One is to sensationalize the work of the Holy Spirit, and two is to institutionalize the work of the church. To sensationalize the work of the Spirit is to emphasize feelings and experience over Scripture and truth. It is to want the bang for the buck rather than to see God do what Jesus did, and that is to minister to lives in kingdom ways. To sensationalize the work of the Spirit is to make theatrical displays of the Spirit's power. I think of, and I'm sure if you had any experience, you probably have images that can come to mind. I think of one televangelist who, at least years ago, used to make a big show out of waving his arm over a segment of the massive crowds he had, and a whole section would fall down. And then he would wave his arm over another section, and that whole section would fall down, presumably under the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be careful. I don't want to start judging this, that, and the next thing. But as we seek to discern I will say this. I have no problem with the Holy Spirit knocking somebody flat. No problem at all. So what happened to Paul? Saul. He's on a horse. Jesus appeared to him. Bang! He's knocked flat. When the soldiers came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I am. Bang. Very interesting little point in the Gospel of John. They all got knocked on their backs. My question is when it becomes a, that because, like those are moments where the authority and power of God are being displayed. When it becomes just kind of a feeling show, a theatrical display, 
I think we need to be really careful of those. And so my question is, when you have whole sections falling down and then getting up, the same as they fell down, what kingdom purpose did that serve? The biggest purpose that serves is to make it look like this guy on the stage has the power to harness the Spirit of God. Who looks powerful isn't the Spirit, it's that person up on the stage. Wow. I don't see that as a kingdom purpose that bears any good lasting fruit. Jesus never did anything like that. Everything Jesus did, every miracle he performed, every sign, every wonder, and the power of his teaching, all of it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it was all to advance the gospel in the kingdom. Jesus never sensationalized the power of God or sought to make a show of it. Just the opposite. Jesus often discouraged people from spreading the news and advertising what God had done. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit through Jesus always had this serious gospel advancing purpose to it. He set free the demon possessed. Oh, the beauty of that, that someone is chained by Satan and they are set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful picture. Someone's chained by sickness or affliction or disability and the Lord sets them free and heals them. And we see the this, this suffering comforted, encouraged. We see the brokenhearted healed. We see the outcast, the cast off, the rejected of society drawn in by the love of God through Jesus Christ and finding new joy and purpose in their life. And it all moves the kingdom forward. And none of it is a show. And that, I mean, it was exciting, but none of it is a show. None of it is theatrics. Even the miracles, you might say, well, what about turning water into wine? That's a little theatrical. And it's kind of hard to see the, uh, the big purpose in that. But no, you know, we're the feeding of the 5,000. But those two miracles had massive Christology, massive kingdom meaning to them. Nothing Jesus did was just to have a good time and make a show of the power of the Holy Spirit. Nor should we, church, nor should we. But the other extreme, I'm going to say, and again, I think most churches are in the middle. I don't think most churches are hanging out on either extreme, but I just want to address them. But the other extreme is to institutionalize the work of the church. And I think this may be a greater danger, at least in the circles I travel in. I know it's the bigger temptation for me. I, you know, listen, if you want to know, listen, my heart leans more naturally to, to the institutionalized. What I mean by that is I have no attraction to the scary and the weird. I have no attraction to the let's, you know, out of order, people barking, all those things. I don't want that. If you want that, this probably isn't the church for you. I don't want that. I'm scared of that. Okay. But with that fear sometimes comes, I'll just be honest, a clamping down of anything that might step out into more of the faith that the Spirit of God wants to work. We'll talk more about that. And we can do that. Paul says you can quench the Spirit. He says don't do that. Don't quench the Spirit. But to institutionalize a church is to reduce Christianity to the things that we can do and we can organize. 
to institutionalize the churches, to reduce the Christianity, Christianity to a system of beliefs and the responses that flow from that system of beliefs. Now, listen, Orthodox Christianity has a system of beliefs that are absolutely essential to Orthodox Christianity. It is the gospel. It is the Bible. It is scripture. It is Christ crucified, raised from the dead for our sins and for our life eternal. So those, those are beliefs that we have to anchor down and hold to firmly, convictedly all the time. Christianity does call for a response to those beliefs, repentance and faith. But Christianity, according to scripture, is more than that. It's more than that. We need the gospel, but we need more than the gospel. We need the Bible, but we need more than the Bible. We need preaching, but we need more than preaching. We need to live out our faith, but we need more than living out our faith. We need the Holy Spirit. You see, we can inform someone about Jesus, but only the Spirit of God can transform their lives. We can preach the gospel, and we should. But only the Holy Spirit can take those eyes that have been blinded by Satan, by the God of this world, and open those eyes so that they see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And God who said, let there be light, says, let there be light in their hearts. I can't do that. You can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can preach Jesus and the message of life, but only the Holy Spirit can take a dead, spiritually dead person and make them alive. Only the Holy Spirit can do these things. With the right skill set, someone can attract large crowds. But only the Holy Spirit can baptize them into Christ and make them the church. That's why Jesus took the best trained, best led, most highly motivated people on earth and said, you are not ready because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait until you receive him. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go because I will send you the Holy Spirit. And we come into the book of Acts, and it's all about the church filled with power that comes from the Holy Spirit, and that power translates not into theatrical shows, but in the Word of God and the gospel of Christ moving unstoppably throughout the world. Don't you love that? That's what we want. That's what we need. All churches, that's what we need. Paul writes chapters about the Spirit of God working in us, cultivating, pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. He writes to be filled with the Spirit continuously. And he encourages us to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be looking at all these things. But this morning, what I want to do is I just pray that this whets our appetite and reminds us of our need for a greater working of the Spirit of God. Whatever background you come from, whichever direction your heart leans, I ask that we all come to God's Word with open hearts and open minds to hear what He has to say about 
the beautiful Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been hurt by excesses. Maybe things you've seen scare you. As I said, they scare me too. This is going to be a safe place for that. I don't want the weird, the wild, the scary. But I am open to the unusual and the unexpected. Because the Spirit of God doesn't just kind of like, whoa, we didn't even know he was there. He does sometimes interrupt things. But in a beautiful Jesus-honoring way. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's all about. To the glory of Jesus. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, let's ask God to pour out his spirit on Grace Community Church in a fresh and powerful way. God's been graciously reminding me, and he's got to do it frequently. I pray he reminds you as well, and that together we might join our hearts in saying, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. We want to see a greater portion of your spirit's work, good work in our lives, in our church, in our community. that we might be bolder witnesses for Jesus everywhere we go. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, our hearts open, our minds open. We're thirsty. Lord, we're thirsty. The ground sometimes seems dry. Sometimes, Lord, it feels like we have so little power. It feels like there's so much power against the gospel today. It feels like all the power is on the other side. But we know that's not true. Lord, we know that you are the living God. And we know that Jesus Christ is the ascended Lord. And we know that Jesus has given his Holy Spirit to work powerfully the ministry of Jesus in the world today. Now, Lord, we just occupy a small, small part of that world, but we're asking for more, more of your power, more of your spirit, more of your love, more of your healing, more of your refreshing, more of your holiness, more of your conviction. Lord, more of all that you are. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's overflowing. Because, Lord, there's a world out there that needs to see the living God through us. So I pray, Lord, that you will flow, pour out in a fresh way, God. We know we have the Holy Spirit. We thank you. But we pray for a fresh outpouring, a fresh filling of the Spirit of God in our lives and a fresh faith 
that we might go forward with fresh ministry coming from us, Lord, to speak to that person at work, that hurting family member, Lord, to love on that person who's lonely, Lord. And when we are dry, we are hurting, we are thirsty, that we would receive that not only from you by your Holy Spirit, the precious reign of heaven, but God also that we would be there for one another in a fresh way. Lord, we pray for these things. Lord, we ask for the pouring out of your spirit. We ask that Jesus, Lord, would walk in a fresh power in our midst. And we will be careful to give all the glory and praise. Lord, I pray if anyone here has a secret sin that is blocking them from drawing near to you, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction, will bring light and repentance to that will show them it's a chain and a ball. It's not freedom. And I pray that you give them deliverance from that sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. I pray that you will set them free, that they might draw near to you again and experience your power in their life and the purpose that you have for them rather than run from it. Because sin has gotten and beholden their hearts and minds. Lord, we just ask for wonderful things, all for the glory of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm going to ask you, will you pray with me for the Lord to do and pour out his spirit upon us in a fresh way? Next week, I feel like where we want to go, there's so many things we could talk about. I want to go to the outwardness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power. Not power to have a great life, power to be his witnesses. And I feel like we want to begin with that. Because that is, you know, it's about, listen, we, we want, there's so many things, there's so many things in my heart, but we want to be his hands and feet to this world. There are broken people in this world. We want to be his hands and feet to those people. So will you pray with me? for him to be working and stirring and fresh wind from the Spirit of God to blow through our hearts, our lives, our church, our community. Will you do that with me? Thank you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.